0: If you have uh, a Bible, please open your Bible and turn to Amos, and we're going to look at chapters 1 and 2. So it's Amos 1 and 2. It'll be our primary focus um, this morning as we look at God's Word. Here, as we'll see, Amos has a somewhat difficult word, but uh, it is good, we trust. Amos 1 and 2. Listen here to the word of God. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep herders from Tekoa, which he envisioned in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah king of Judah and in the days of Jeroboam son of Joash king of Israel. 2 years before the earthquake He said the Lord roars from Zion and from Jerusalem he utters his voice and the shepherds pasture grounds mourn and the summit of Carmel dries up. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not revoke its punishment. Because they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron, so I will send fire upon the house of Hazael, and it will be consumed and it will consume the citadels of ben Hadad. I will also break the gate bar of Damascus, and cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Avon. And him who holds the scepter from Beth-Aden, so the people of Aram will go exiled to Kerr, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Because they deported an entire population to deliver it up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the walls of, upon the wall of Gaza and it will consume her citadels. I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will even unleash my power upon Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines will perish, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because they delivered up an entire population to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send upon the wall of Tyre, and it will consume her citadels. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword. While he stifled his compassion, his anger tore continually, and he maintained his fury forever. So I will send fire upon Teman, and it will consume the citadels of Basra. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of the sons of Ammon and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead In order to enlarge their borders I will kinder a fire on the wall of the Rabbah And I will consume her citadels Amid war cries on the day of battle And a storm on the day of tempest Their king will go into exile He and his princes together Says the Lord Thus says the Lord For three transgressions of Moab and for four I will not revoke its punishment because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. So I will send fire upon Moab and it will consume the citadels of Kiriath and Moab will die amid tumult with war cries and the sound of a trumpet. I will also cut off the judge from her midst and slay all her princes with him, says the Lord. For, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four. I will not revoke its punishment, because they rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. Their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah, and it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. These who pant after the very dust of the earth on the head of the helpless also turn aside the way of the humble, and a man and his father resort to the same girl in order to profane my holy name. When garments taken as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. Though his height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks, I even destroyed his fruit above and his root below. It was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And I led you in the wilderness forty years, that you might take possession of the land of the Amorite. Then I raised up some of your sons to be prophets, and some of your young men to be Nazarites. Is it not so, O sons of Israel? declares the Lord. But you have made the Nazarites drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I am weighted down beneath you, as a wagon is weighted down when filled with sheaves. Flight will perish from the swift, and the stalwart will not strengthen his power, nor the mighty man save his life. He who who grasps the bow bow will not stand his ground. The swift of foot will not escape, nor will he who rides the horse save his life. Even the bravest among the warriors will flee naked in that day, declares the Lord. Amen. Amen. Turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 37. And the SV, of course, means selected verses. It's not a misprint of Roman numerals. So Isaiah 37. It's on page 511 of your pew Bible. Listen here to God's word. And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. And then down to verse 6. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land and then down to verse 10 thus you shall say to Hezekiah king of Judah this is the the Assyrian speaking here thus you shall say to Hezekiah king of Judah do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by saying Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? And then down to verse 14. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers. He read it, and he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God... You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and listen to all the words of Sennacherib, who sent them to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone." So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from the hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord our God. Amen. And then finally, turn to Revelation chapter 3, and we'll look at the first six verses. And this was uh, the letter to the church at Sardis, who had some trouble And this is what John is um, encouraging them to do, to to hold on to that which is good. It's on page 191 of your Pew Bible. Again, that's Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first six verses. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that they have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear, and the Spirit says to the... uh, uh, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Let us now bow our hearts and prepare for the preaching of God's Word. Heavenly Father, you have given us somewhat difficult words uh, through your prophet Amos. We pray that we would uh, seek to understand your purposes, that we would seek to apply your word spoken through your prophet by your Holy Spirit to our lives, that we might follow wherever you lead. Where we are in error, let us repent. Where we are following you, let us hold on and excel still more. We pray all of this in the name of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Amen. So, welcome to the first part of a a sermon series through the book of Amos, and as you see in Amos 1 and 2, we are off to somewhat of an explosive start. Uh, I recognize those aren't necessarily the easiest verses to hear. They're not the easiest verses to read, and not because of all the place names. However, if we critically think about Amos 1 and 2, if we seek to understand it and apply it to our lives, my prayer is that we will see the providence of God and the value of repentance. And as we think about it, in in the month of September, I preached two sermons. One was on the covenant prosecutor, which was the idea of uh, the Lord's prophets who come and and point out where God's people have gone astray in the hope that they would repent and return to the Lord. We see in Amos 1 and 2 that Amos is doing that very thing. The, the second... Introductory topic we looked at was the idea of the day of the Lord. And that is to say that the day of the Lord or the day of judgment comes upon individuals throughout history, but it also comes upon nations throughout history. And here we see that Amos is making proclamations of doom upon these surrounding nations and Israel and Judah. And he's doing so, in essence, saying, Listen, the day of the Lord is coming. Pay attention. Repent. We need to even look at this as, uh, though it's a difficult word, yes, but we need to recognize that in God warning these people that judgment is coming, that in itself is a gracious action. By, by their sin, by, by his righteousness, he could just wipe them off the face of the earth. But he doesn't. He sends Amos as a prophet to warn them. To make them take heed Or in the, in the hopes that they would take heed That they would examine their lives Examine their nation That they would repent And follow the Lord Well uh, Throughout the course of history Well throughout the course of ancient history The Lord comes to each of those nations And indeed Nations through time The Lord visits in judgment So too We recognize that the day of the Lord Is coming for all And in In Regards to that, we see that the purpose of the book of Amos is the same today that it was more than 2,700 years ago. It's to to remind God's people of sin and its dire consequences. So then, for our own lives as individuals, as we think about the church, both our local church but also the church in our land and as we think of our nation, we need to examine our, na- our, our actions. We need to see whether we're repeating the same cycles of sin and disobedience that we find in Amos, and ultimately we need to pursue the difficult path of repentance, where we turn from error and we turn to the Lord. As we begin looking at Amos 1 and 2, we need to take just a minute and and to think about um, the, the primary characters in the book. We see Amos, who is called a sheep herder from Tekoa. Uh, Now, we would wonder why in the world would you use the word sheepherder? Why wouldn't you just say shepherd? I mean, that makes much more sense, right? It would be as though to talk about sitting on the Davin port or to say tubular. Like, it's just not, that's an awkward turn of phrase. So what is going on? Well, in the book of Amos, the word that's used there isn't the normal word for shepherd. And so when the translators are working through the book, basically they're just saying, hey, there's something a little different about this person. What would we say? More than likely, he had a, a job along the side of the sheep industry. Right? Perhaps he owned sheep, perhaps he sold sheep, we don't know, uh, but he, he, he likely was someone of some means. And the reason I say this is because it wasn't that, that Amos was bored or looking for work and needing something fun to do so he thought he would go be a prophet. Right? He, and we'll see later, he's not from a family of prophets. Why does he do this? He becomes a prophet because the Holy Spirit works in his life and compels him to go. We see that there are kings listed. Uzziah of Judah and Jeroboam of Israel. And using their dates and the mention of an earthquake, we know that really Amos is working roughly 50 years before the fall of Israel. That means that the pronouncements that we see here are given with time for the people to repent. Right? It's not as though Amos says... The day of the Lord is coming, and tomorrow they die. Amos continues to preach and preach and preach and preach, hoping that the people repent. And they have time to do so. Sadly, we'll see that they don't. And we also note here that um, Amos is a near contemporary of Isaiah. That's why we read Isaiah 37. It's actually going to be a picture of how Judah responds. And finally... I'm going to to tell you about Tekoa, and I have a map here that you might not be able to see the place names, but you might be able to see Judah, and there are a couple of of dots in Judah, one of which is Jerusalem, and just below that is Tekoa. I say that because he's from the south, and he's going to go to the north, and we're going to leave this this map up there because it's going to help us understand um, what's going on. Well, as um, Amos begins, he first mentions Damascus. Now, I'll say that's the capital city of Aram, which is um, often an enemy of Israel. They fought each other, they went back and forth, they, the land went you know, back and forth across. If you're looking at the map, they are in the northeast, which means that they're at the top right, okay? And um, we see in verse three that they threshed Gilead with implements of sharp iron. And you might just think that perhaps this means that you're not supposed to go to war with one another. Actually, no. What's going on here is that Aram, that kingdom um, uh, where Damascus is the capital, is basically committing a war crime. And they're executing a whole bunch of people, mostly by dragging stones over top of them. Stones which had iron within them. And so, as a result, we see that... That uh, the Lord pronounces judgment upon Aram Because they sinned against Gilead The Lord is going to destroy the citadels of Aram And he's going to send the people into exile And go ahead to the next slide We can just see that that's gone And after that, we see that that Amos uh, pronounces judgment upon Gaza. And again, if you're looking at this, Gaza is one of the primary cities in Philistine, which is down in the lower left. It's the southwest. And here, they're they're guilty of sending people into slavery, right? They're they're delivering whole people into slavery. If we look at the book of Obadiah, we actually see the picture of what is going on. uh, Philistine, or Philistine, Phoenicia and Edom kind of all team up and they try to take some of um, Judah. And as a result here, we see that uh, judgment is pronounced against Philistia. Their cities are going to be destroyed, right? They're they're sinful people delivering up uh, others to basically death. Um, They are sinning against their fellow man. After Philistia, we see that Amos turns his attention to Phoenicia. And it's the same mark of disobedience, right? That They send people into exile. They dehumanize them. And as a result, the Lord says, I'm going to destroy your citadels. I'm going to send your people into exile. And we see that Phoenicia is wiped off the face of the, the, the earth. And then it comes to Edom. Amos comes to Edom and he says that you pursued your brother with a sword and we might wonder why he would say such a thing uh, But we need to remember that Edom is the nation that um, Came from Esau Esau Jacob's brother Um, And while the Old Testament is clear that the Lord chose Jacob and Jacob became Israel the the man who became Israel the nation Esau was a child of Isaac. He was a grandson of Abraham. He should have known some of the blessings of the Lord. And he should have honored a familial relationship with the nation of nations of Judah and Israel. But he doesn't do that. Basically, Edom takes people as the spoils of war and subjugates them in, in an inappropriate way. And so we see that the Lord says no to Edom. You know, places will be destroyed. Pe- lives will be ruined in judgment. Why? Because of their sin. The Lord wipes them away. And now as we look at our map, we'll see that it's surrounding Israel and Judah. That's why the map is staying there, right? That there's a pattern emerging. That the, the nations around Israel and Judah are no good. Sadly, they, they don't get any better. We see the nation of Ammon, which also attacks the Gileadites. Um, but they don't do it uh, by killing the men. They, they do it uh, by ripping open pregnant women. And just to be clear, this isn't a forced adoption, right? They're killing mother and child um, in horrific, in a, in a horrific manner. And again, as a result of that, the Lord pronounces judgment upon them. And Ammon is to be wiped off the face of the earth. And finally, we see Moab. Moab it says uh, kills the the king of Edom and we wonder why in the world or actually it actually says Moab Burns the bones of the king of Edom and we might wonder why is that so bad? What did they do? Dig him up? Like how bad could it be? The problem was he was probably using the bones when they burned him right that he was still alive And again, we need to recognize that the Bible doesn't call us necessarily to pacifism, but that there are just and unjust reasons to go to war. And this would have been an example of an unjust reason to go to war. And so we see that Moab, like Ammon, and all of the rest are to be destroyed. So what are we to do? If if we're Israel and Judah and we're all that's left, how should we think about this? Well, they might think... Praise the Lord, I'm not like these nations around me. I would never do those things. But they, they might say, well, heck, if, if all these nations around us are, are going to be destroyed, perhaps we can expand our nation. If we think that, um, we, we, obviously, we read, we'll see that we would be wrong. But we, as God's people today, need to also recognize that there would be a temptation for us today to say, I'm glad I'm not like that person. Or I'm glad I'm not like that nation. Or if we think about our own nation, we, we say, glad I'm not there. But as we look around at these nations, what did they do? Well, they, they primarily did two things. One is they, they murdered people committed acts of genocide. They also sold folks into slavery. And as we reflect upon our own nation, we need to wrestle with whether or not we're morally superior in any regard to these nations. As we think of genocide, um, as we think of, of of how we are to understand that in our day, I can't help but think about the stain upon our land of abortion. I can't, I can't help but think how abortion has corrupted much of our life and the lives lost, not unlike Ammon explicitly. And as we think about slavery, we, we would acknowledge that slavery has been present with us um, for many years um, in many different forms. One that I would point out um, this morning is not one we necessarily think of as slavery, which in some ways makes it all the worse. And that's sexual slavery. Um, You know, estimates are difficult to kind of work through, but um, the best estimates, and this would be for pornography in the United States, for paid pornography, is that the revenue is greater than that of the NFL. Pornography, among other things, infiltrates every form of media in our culture. We're saturated with it. Many are addicted to it, both to its production as well as to its consumption. We need to recognize that we are um, often setting our kids or, or, or others up for failure, not literally in chains gone into slavery, but we send them as lambs to slaughter the slaughter of sexual sin, the slaughter of pornography, the, the, the slaughter of, of enslavement to, to sin. And and I will also say if if you know those sins, or or indeed other sins, are, are part of your life today, I have terrifying news and I have awesome news. Awesome isn't, like, really cool, but awesome is also in, like, that's amazing. The terrifying part is that the day of the Lord is coming upon us all. We'll all face judgment. We'll all have to give an account for our actions. We see the way in which the Lord has judged similar things in Amos 1 and 2, and we recognize that on our own we have no means of escape. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. But the awesome part is that grace is available. And um, I think it's summarized really rather well in the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer number 12. The question says this, Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we have deserved temporal and eternal punishment. Can you hear the terror there? How may we escape this punishment? Come again to grace and be reconciled to God. Well, the answer is that God wills that His righteousness be satisfied. Therefore, payment in full must be made to His righteousness, either by ourselves or to another. You hear that? The debt of righteousness is so large for our sin that we could never pay for it. But the Lord Jesus can and has. And so if we're sitting here and we're wrestling with the particular sins of the the people in Amos or indeed any sin, we recognize that we can receive grace from the Lord in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What do we do? We look to the Lord Jesus. We recognize our sinfulness and we turn to him in faith. And we, we then revel in, we are filled with awesome wonder that we who are sinners are made righteous. Now, again, you know, looking at Israel and Judah, as they're listening to the surrounding uh, uh, judgment, they're probably thinking, yes and amen. This isn't so bad. This will be all right. But sadly, the book of Amos does not end with the judgment of Ammon and Moab. It goes on to look at Judah and Israel. If you look with me at, at chapter 2, verse 4, you'll see that there Judah is indicted, just like the other nations, right, that they've been surrounded uh, by. They, they're indicted because they've rejected the law of God. And we might look at that and we might say, oh, hang on, wait a second. Aram was guilty of genocide, and I'm guilty because I kind of, I didn't do some part of the law? And we might say, that doesn't sound fair, and humanly thinking, it might not be. But we also need to recognize that that Judah had a special relationship with the Lord. They had received the law of God. The, the Lord had delivered them time and, and time and time and time and time and time, and I could keep going, and again, uh, from from various enemies. They should have followed the Lord, but instead they rejected the Lord's Words They rejected the Lord altogether, and they began to want to be like the surrounding nations. And so as a result, the Lord pronounces judgment upon them. And the result is that Judah is to go away. And after that, we see that the, the Amos turns his sights on Israel. And like Judah, we have to acknowledge that, that they did not want to know the Lord. They rejected the Lord. They said, let us be like Israel the other nations we see in chapter 2 verse 6 that it says that they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals and they commit acts of indecency within the family which is to profane the name of god like judah israel should have followed the lord they had every reason to follow the lord and the lord reminds them he said listen i'm the one who gave you the land i'm the one who drove the ammonites out so you could be here i'm the one who, who brought you out of egypt so you could be here I am your God, follow me, but they do not. And the result, the judgment upon it, upon the nation, was that the Lord would be like um, a a wagon full of sheaves of, of, you know, cargo weighted down. What was the result? Verses fourteen through sixteen say that flight will perish from the swift, and the stalwart will not strengthen his power, nor the mighty man save his life. He who grasps the bow will not stand his ground, and the swift of foot will not escape, nor will he flee who rides the horse uh, nor will he who rides the horse save his life. Even the bravest among the warriors will flee naked in that day, declares the Lord. The Lord is telling the people of Israel, listen, the thing you think you're really good at, the thing you think is your strength, it's going to fail. The mighty one, you're not going to be so mighty. The fast one, you're not going to be so fast. The thing you're looking for, because you're not looking to me, is going to cause you to fail. And we see that judgment hits Israel the same way that it hits the rest. Israel looks just like the surrounding nations with its sin well how should we respond again our, our assumption is that amos is working today in a similar fashion to the way he worked when he wrote the book so how are we to respond uh, as a as a church as an individual as a as a as a nation how should we respond to the um, respond to the lord What should we expect as we go forward? Well, we see in history, if we look through the rest of the Old Testament, and indeed historical records, that all of the judgments that the Lord pronounces on the surrounding nations, He executes, primarily through the people of the Assyrians or the Babylonians. They come and nation by nation, they destroy the the surrounding area. They came for Israel, and about 50 years after Amos' ministry, they destroyed Israel. They came for Judah as well. And the reason we read from Isaiah 37 is because we see the difference between Judah and Israel. When the king Hezekiah uh, received this, this news of, of the Assyrians are at the door... It says in 37, um, chapter 37 of Isaiah, verse number 1, uh, that when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, he covered himself in sackcloth, and he entered the house of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that he turned to the Lord for help. He stopped and repented. In... in um, some form or fashion. We see that, that Hezekiah is seeking help from the Lord. Even when the nation of Assyria sends a letter that says, Listen, your God may tell you that you're not gonna that you're not gonna be destroyed, don't listen to it. Hezekiah says, No, I'm not gonna listen to you. I'm gonna listen to what the Lord says. And what's the result? Judah does not fall to the Assyrians. In fact, it doesn't fall for quite some time. Now, it's true that that Judah does eventually fall to the Babylonians. It is true that, that, you know, they slip into sin and are destroyed. But we need to recognize that in this short term, surrounding the ministry of Amos, for a time, Judah repents and is saved from the Assyrians. As we reflect on that, I hope we can see that this deliverance that Hezekiah experienced points us to a greater deliverance. We are all here sinful. We are all here guilty of sin. And yet, when we turn to the Lord Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we are righteous. And it's not a righteousness that goes away, right? It's an indelible righteousness that cannot be removed, so what are we to do? Well, as, a, as individuals, we are to turn, and you can go ahead and take that slide down. Uh, as individuals, we are to turn to the Lord. We're to recognize our own sin. We're to recognize that in ourselves, we can do nothing. What are we to do as, uh, as a church? And I mean here, in part, yes, Lighty's church, but also the wider church. What are we to do? Well, as the letter says uh, in Revelation to, to the church at Sardis, we're to hold on to what is good. Where we are going in error, where we are departing from the Word of God, we are to repent. Where we are doing what is well or what is good and right, we should hold on and excel still more. How do we do that? We do that by turning to the Lord Jesus. And what do we do for our nation? We pray. We pray that the Lord would be at work um, in this nation. We pray that the Lord would surround uh, leaders with um, folks who understand right and wrong, good and evil, who, who have wisdom to make sound decisions and, and direct us as a nation to the Lord. We also need to recognize that, that as individuals part of that nation, we should communicate the love of Christ— and the truth of Christ to those in our spheres of influence. You know, whether it's home, neighborhood, uh, uh, work, wherever the Lord has you, the Lord has given you a sphere of influence, and we all need to proclaim the truth of the Lord Jesus there. Why? Because I will repeat, Amos 1 and 2 is a hard word. But it's a word that was designed to be gracious, to point us to the Lord Jesus. Jesus. As all the nations failed long-term to return to the Lord, we pray that we would turn to the Lord Jesus, that we would be righteous by his blood. And we pray that we then would worship him, praising him all the days of our life. Amen.